All right. Hello, everyone, and very nice to see you. I am uh, Giulio Prisco. Mm. I want to thank uh, the very few people who showed up for this uh, very first uh, Turin Church meeting via Zoom. I hope to see more people the next time, but I'm happy enough uh, with you guys uh, at this moment. Mm. I'm going to use uh, the format that I have in mind for a future Turin Church meeting, which is the first half, uh, which will be recorded and uh, published on the Turin Church podcast, and a second half, which is not going to be recorded. For uh, the first part, I will start by giving a presentation, the same presentation that I gave at the conference Transvision 2019 in London three years ago. It was a great conference. Unfortunately, the videos were not recorded. There was some kind of technical problem, I believe. So since I liked very much that presentation, I'm going to uh, go through it today. So I have a video of it. Uh, now, I'm going to publish this in both video and uh, audio-only format for the Children Church podcast. Uh, those who watch the video will be able to see my slides. Those who only listen won't be able to, and that's why I will uh, describe what I mean with uh, the uh, images that I'm going to show. Let me start. Uh, sharing my screen now. And uh, I will ask the people present to confirm that uh, they are seeing it. Yes. Great. So, use um, my talk at Transvision 2019 in London, and uh, the title is uh, More Things in Heaven and Earth. And the other title is uh, Gods by any other name. And of course, since uh, we were in London, I could only start with uh, two quotes by William Shakespeare, which happened to be two of my favorite literary quotes ever. One from Hamlet is there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, that are uh, dreamed of in your philosophy. This is for the first uh, title of my talk. And concerning the second the title, we have from Romeo and Juliet, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And let me remember that uh, the title of this talk is uh, More Things in Heaven and Earth. Uh, a god by any other name. With this homage to William Shakespeare, let me move on and give you my very simple definition of transhumanism. It's very simple because I like simple things, or at least saying things in a simple way, as simple as possible. So transhumanism means using technology to improve the human condition is one, uh, doable, two, good, both feasible 
and desirable. And you know, I think this, this is really common sense uh, on steroids. Uh, on the slide, I'm showing a picture of me reading my first book, Tales of the Turing Church. And I'm wearing eyeglasses in this picture. And looking at the audience, I see that everyone, including me, is wearing eyeglasses. Um, well, what we are wearing is transhumanist technology. It is transhumanist technology because we are using a technology correction to uh, do things that we would not be able to do otherwise. So this is transhumanism. And again, transhumanism is really common sense on steroids. Now, later on, I'm going to give you my definition of what I call transhumanism plus plus which is uh, transhumanism on steroids. So I'm going to describe common sense on steroids and on steroids again, something elevated to a power and then elevated to a power again. These are uh, my ideas. All the ultra technologies that we like to think about, uh, indefinite life extension, uh, Superintelligence, artific superintelligence, artificial intelligence, mind uploading, and all that. And even much more than all that. I think all that will be achieved eventually, but very likely not soon. So this uh, aircraft that is uh, going through a sonic boom became uh, passing the speed of sound. This metaphorical aircraft will not fly soon. I don't think so. I would like to, but I don't think so. Mm. Oh. The singularity is uh, mm, the title of the book of Ray Kurzweil, last one, is the singularity is near. But no, I think the singularity is far. Mm, I'm afraid we won't see. Any, any kind of singularity in our lifetimes. Mm, I often also think that we won't see a singularity ever because as soon as uh, something uh, begins to work, then it becomes uh, yesterday technology and everyone gives it for granted. So it's uh, business as usual for everyone. I think that's more likely to happen than a hard takeoff singularity. So the singularity is far, but Ray Kurzweil is right in spirit, is right in the long term. So let's read uh, one of my favorite sentences of Ray Kurzweil's book, The Age of Spiritual Machines. He says, so will the universe end in a big crunch or in an infinite expansion of dead stars or in some other manners? In my view, the primary issue is not the mass of the universe or the possible existence of anti-gravity or of uh, Einstein's so-called cosmological constant. Rather, the fate of the universe is a decision yet to be made, one which we, will intelligently consider when uh, the time is right. 
And so I think even if Ray Kurzweil is uh, probably wrong in his short-term predictions, he's very, very, very much right in his long-term uh, predictions, which are that uh, future humans, uh, not future like next week, future like in many thousands of years or more, will uh, re-engineer, remake the universe according to whatever desirability criteria we will have at that moment. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from Ray Kurzweil. Who else said similar thing? Arthur C. Clarke said, and uh, everyone knows uh, Clarke's third law, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. There is a variation of this note introduced by Michael Shermer saying that any sufficiently advanced extraterrestrial intelligence or far future human is indistinguishable from God. And yes, in fact, uh, magic technology and uh, a God are scientific concepts, not necessarily supernatural, not too metaphysical, not magic, but scientific. scientific. Something that we don't understand yet at this moment, but we will understand better and better and better until we understand these things well enough to do uh, really magic things by means of them. Magic technology and God are scientific concepts. Uh, there is a <laughs> This vision from uh, our lo for our long-term future uh, that was uh, put in very beautiful words by Arthur Clarke in uh, 2001. Uh, talking of the makers of the monolith, uh, Arthur Clarke says that they had learned to store knowledge in the structure of space itself and to preserve their thoughts for eternity in frozen lattices of light. Now they were lords of the galaxy and beyond the reach of time. And if there was anything beyond that, its name could only be God. How I interpret this uh, vision of Arthur C. Clarke for our long-term future uh, using uh, science that uh, he unfortunately wasn't able to follow in the last decade where things are really beginning to happen. This vision is the vision of humanity uploading to the fabric of space-time. It's a very modern concept. And Arthur C. Clarke was really a prophet. He was one of my heroes. So let me come to my definition of uh, transhumanism plus plus, transhumanism on steroids. I'm very optimistic for the long term. And to me, transhumanism plus plus means using magic technology to become uh, gods is uh, doable and good, both feasible 
and desirable. Uh, too bad for those who are only listening, because I'm showing a really nice image here of two human hands holding a galaxy information. And this is the magic technology that we will be able to master sometime in the future. Okay. Uh, let me go back one moment. I will say one thing, I'm not calling myself a transhumanist these days. I have a long history in the transhumanist movement. Many transhumanists are my very good friends. But you know, for many reasons, which I'm not going to discuss now, these days I prefer to use the term cosmist to define myself. And to me, uh, transhumanism plus plus and uh, cosmism are one and the same thing. Of course, uh, cosmism has a philosophical history because as you know, it was a, a philosophical movement started in Russia between the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, and is a very, is a very modern philosophy in spirit. It was also the inspiration of the Russian space uh, program. In fact, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky was a cosmist. And I hope the cosmist philosophy will become more and more popular. And these are my cosmic visions. We will develop space-time engineering and scientific future magic much beyond our current understanding and imagination. Space-time engineering and future magic will permit achieving by scientific means most of the promises of religions and many amazing things that no human religion ever dreamed. Eventually, we will be able to resurrect the dead by copying them to the future. Uh, this uh, is uh, part of a chapter called uh, 10 Cosmist Convictions, which was uh, published in uh, a book written by Ben Gertzel uh, titled A Cosmist Manifesto. Very good book. Uh, in these two uh, paragraphs, I'm saying that we will remake the universe and we will resurrect the dead. So the resurrection of the dead, which is the cornerstone of most religions that I know of, is something that will be achieved by humans in the future by means of uh, super advanced uh, science and technology. Technological resurrection. I must explain this that uh, you know, I'm uh, showing pictures of cats on the screen. I'm showing a picture of uh, very cute uh, kittens and also an image of uh, an old statue of a cat which suggests to me the idea of quantum archaeology. Now, why cats? Uh, not going to 
go into mathematical details of quantum physics here, but I guess uh, many listeners have heard at least something about uh, the Schrodinger cat, an animal which, according to some ways to interpret quantum physics, can be both dead and alive at the same time. This uh, uh, picture is used by all those who write popular explanations of quantum physics. So the concept of quantum archaeology is very much linked in the collective imagination to picture of cats. And what do we mean by quantum archaeology? Archaeology, like in reconstructing the past, but reconstructing the past well enough with enough detail to be able to reconstruct entire humans, or maybe animals too, that were alive in the past. We don't know anything about this yet, nothing. But we have some hints given by contemporary science that say that these super technologies, super science, uh, will likely have something to do with uh, whatever will become of the quantum physics that uh, we know and love today. So quantum archaeology means using some kind of very weird quantum shenanigans that we won't even be able to start imagining now to achieve technological resurrection and bring these cute kittens back to life. Perhaps the kittens uh, died thousands of years ago, but uh, we'll be able to use some kind of quantum fishing nets to go and fish them from the ocean of space-time. And we have these cute kittens back, and we will be able to have also humans back, who, everyone, everyone who ever died in the past, will be resurrected, I dare to hope, by means of uh, future science and technology, so much beyond our current understanding that we wouldn't uh, even be able to imagine it. There was a really excellent book written almost 100 years ago by Sir James Jeans, a British uh, astrophysicist. I'm going to read from this book. It's a book that I found uh, in the library of my grandfather when uh, I was maybe 10 or 11. It made an enormous impression on me. I read it in uh, Italian translation at that time. I'm going to read from it. The outstanding achievement of uh, 20th century physics is not the theory of relativity with its welding together of space and time, or the theory of quanta with its uh, present apparent negation of the laws of causation, or the dissection of the atom with the resultant discovery that things are not what they seem. It is the general recognition that we are not yet in contact with ultimate reality. This is what Sir James Jeans said in 1930. 
we are not yet in contact with ultimate reality. And uh, his words are still very much uh, true today as uh, today's scientists understand. Now to the list of James James, uh, today's physicists would add the quantum field theory, the standard model, the theory of black holes, quantum matter, string theory, multidimensional realities. And future scientists will no doubt add much more to that. But here the concept is that we are not yet in contact with ultimate reality. And I do not think we will find, understand ultimate reality anytime soon, anytime soon, uh, perhaps never, in the sense that reality can be a fractal thing. A fractal, you know, you zoom in and you find uh, something, but then you zoom in more and more, deeper and deeper, and you find something new, and then you find something new again, with no end, like uh, in the Mandel broad set. Um, <laughs> I think this is quite likely. I mean, it's much more likely than uh, the possibility to find uh, a finite theory of everything that explains everything at the same time. Let's come to gods by any other name. I'm showing uh, a picture of a cloud, a picture of a giant cloud that uh, looks like a person with open arms. And this is the mental picture I have in mind when I try to begin imagining scientific conceptions of God. It's not literally a cloud. It's not literally a man in the sky, of course. But these are all nice pictures to have in mind. And uh, this uh, new scientifically inspired concept of gods are uh, the intersections between transhumanism and religion, which are discussed by some uh, uh, groups and community, like this uh, Turing Church, but also the Christian Transhumanist Association and the Mormon Transhumanist Association. Uh, I'm going to read the web URLs of these organizations. Uh, Turing Church is turingchurch.com, uh, not uh, .net as uh, I wrote in this slide because that was the old website. The current website is called turingchurch.com. Then Christian transhumanism in one word, dot org. And the Mormon transhumanist association is transfigurism.org. Uh, and I would like to invite all listeners to visit uh, all three websites. So let's go through some uh, concepts of uh, uh, gods or God by any other name. First, we have the good old simulation hypothesis. The idea that, uh, explaining it in extremely oversimplified uh, 
turns uh, the idea that we are living in some kind of video game. Of course, it's much more complicated than that. Uh, I recently interviewed for my podcast Ritz van Lierke, who is the author of two books on the simulation hypothesis called uh, uh, The Simulation Hypothesis, the first, and The Simulated Multiverse, the second. Here he builds a bridge between the simulation hypothesis and the, con and, uh, the concept of many parallel worlds. Uh, I do recommend these books because they are at this moment, I think, the best popular explanation of the simulation hypothesis. Uh, here I'm showing uh, a picture of a computer simulation of the universe. I mean, the very preliminary computing computer simulations of the universe that uh, we can execute now. And also a picture of uh, a God as an old man who is uh, playing a computer game, where the idea is that we are the inhabitants of this computer game. Now, I want to underline and really overemphasize the fact that uh, the simulation cosmology is essentially equivalent to religion. Mm, I shouldn't even say essentially. The simulation cosmology is equivalent to religion because it is exactly the same thing expressed with different words. If we want, we can uh, take uh, any uh, scripture of uh, any religion and we can translate it word by word into the language used today to describe uh, the simulation hypothesis. And the meaning is exactly the same. Uh, we can translate the simulation hypothesis into religion, and we can translate religion into the language of the simulation hypothesis without losing any meaning. For example, from... Uh, Mm, an article written by Nick Bostrom in 2003, which was one of the first uh, papers on the simulation hypothesis, not the first, I think the one who introduced the simulation hypothesis as we know it today was Hans Moravec, but Nick Bostrom was one of the first. He said that these simulators would have created our world, they would be able to monitor everything that happens here, and they would be able to intervene in ways that conflict with the simulated default laws of nature. An afterlife in a different simulation or at a different level of reality after death in the simulation would be a real possibility. It is even conceivable that the simulators might reward or uh, punish their simulated uh, creators based on how they behave. Now, mm, this is just uh, an example of the fact that uh, mm, all foundational concepts of religion can be found in a simulation cosmology and back. 
So my conclusion is that, you know, mm, simulation cosmology is religion, uh, but uh, you don't have to believe in anything supernatural because there is some kind of natural explanation for all that. We don't know it yet, but there is some. You don't have to embrace the supernatural and you don't have to give up science. But at the same time, if you want, you can still believe in whatever religion uh, you were born in or you have decided to adopt uh, because it can be formulated in uh, scientific terms in a simulation cosmology. I think this is a very powerful concept. We have uh, some other examples of uh, God by any other name. For example, the Omega Point cosmology of Frank Tibler, where the idea is that uh, intelligent life in the universe will become the ultimate computer at the end of uh, time, so powerful that it will be able to steal, to steer the universe in ways that allow the mind itself to continue to exist indefinitely. And among the ability of the Omega Point, it is the ability to resurrect everyone from the past. Mm, this is a nice concept. Mm, then we have the idea of, uh, which is another idea, the third mental picture of God by any other name, of self-consistent causal loops across time. Now, uh, for those who are listening, is uh, really too bad that uh, you cannot see this picture because uh, the concept is difficult to put in words. The idea is that uh, we are here now and uh, we are evolving. We will continue to evolve, we will become more powerful, we will become more knowledgeable, we will become much, 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 much more. The concept is that the end point of this is God. But where does uh, a causal uh, loop come into play? At the end of time, um, a God, which is an outcome of intelligent life, is so powerful then that uh, God becomes able to intervene in the past. And so the idea is that of a self-consistent loop across time where uh, God uh, comes into being at the end of time, but is also able to intervene in the very physical processes that uh, caused the universe to begin existing a long time ago. So what uh, is at the end is also the beginning. And this was put in very nice words by Olaf Stapledon, the legendary philosopher and science fiction writer in 1948 in a talk uh, called uh, titled Interplanetary Man that he gave uh, at the British Interplanetary Society. 
He put it in very nice words. And uh, also theologians like Wolfhard Pannenberg have retaken the same uh, concept that somehow uh, God is uh, uh, both the result and the primary cause of the physical universe at the same time. And uh, uh, God will become God because uh, we are here and are continuing to evolve. And at the end, God will also steer the Big Bang in such a way as to ensure that God himself or herself will appear at the end. By the way, I gave you a quote of uh, Arthur uh, Clarke a few minutes ago. But another very nice thing that he said is that perhaps our role on this planet is not to worship God, but to create God. And this is uh, a concept uh, that uh, I want to stress. One more example. We have this concept of uh, brains in string theory. What are brains? Uh, string theory is a multi-dimensional theory of space and time. We have uh, 11 or uh, uh, 10, according to different interpretations, dimensions of reality, not only three or four, but uh, 10 or 11. So within this multi-dimensional space, there can exist many three-dimensional worlds like ours, four-dimensional if you include time. And the best image to keep in mind is that of a soap bubble. Uh, in the image that I'm showing, I have uh, a young woman who is uh, uh, blowing a big soap bubble, which is in uh, which is a world like ours that exists in a multidimensional reality. So here you can uh, imagine something that is really an equivalent of the simulation hypothesis, which is the possibility for uh, beings that exist in uh, more dimensions than us, like those uh, uh, described, uh, well, not really described, hinted at in the film Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. And they are able to create worlds like ours. So this would be a cosmoforming hypothesis, which if you think of it is really equivalent to the simulation hypothesis. In both cases, our reality is engineered by someone or something in another level of reality. Uh, then we have ideas like uh, the possibility that a god-like mind exists in the very fabric of space-time. Think uh, of a neural network uh, based on quantum fields, for example. There is some interesting recent research on that. And then, of course, there is the possibility that uh, if uh, the all space uh, and uh, time are uh, filled by a quantum neural network, then perhaps uh, what happens 
in our own uh, brains can also be seen as a part of this universal neural network. And so here we have the concept that we are small uh, parts of God. These are not the only concepts of uh, scientifically inspired equivalent of gods, but you know, it's uh, an example. We can find a lot of these in the scientific literature. Now, of course, the scientists who write these things are not really free to use the religious uh, terminology that I'm using, because you know, they could be fired unless they have already won a Nobel. If they're young scientists, they must keep very, very, very far from anything that sounds like religion. They are forced to be politically correct by the establishment. Okay, we're happy that we can say whatever we want. Now, let me come to what I think is the most important final part of this uh, talk. Uh, here, I'm showing a picture of a young girl with fairy wings who is living in a fairy tale world. Is this wishful thinking? Many people ask, uh, that, uh, is it wishful thinking? Now, my answer is yes, of course. Yes, in capital letters, with many explanation marks. Yes, it is wishful thinking. And what the fuck is wrong with wishful thinking? Everything, everything that is worthy and good starts with wishful thinking. Here I'm showing uh, a picture of the first plane of the Wright brothers, and they think just one week before their first flight, or maybe in the few days, maybe even the same day, some very learned and very reputable scientists said that uh, they would never be able to fly, and uh, that the very idea of flying was wishful thinking, but well, no, it was not wishful thinking. Or uh, in other terms, um, you know, the wishful thinking was good because it was the wishful thinking to uh, permitted the Wright brothers to create the plane. And wishful thinking plus hard work got us to the moon 50 years ago. Well, it was in uh, 2019, and now it would be 53 years ago. But in passing and in showing this image of one of the Apollo 11 astronauts walking on the moon, I can't not mention the fact that now the Artemis One mission of NASA is flying to the moon. This is uh, going to be a test flight without astronauts, but uh, in only a few years, NASA is expected to take astronauts back to the moon, this time to stay. This time we want to stay on the moon, we want to do it sustainably, and we want to start creating a multiplanetary civilization. And even in the press releases of NASA itself, which are uh, usually not very visionary. These days you find things like we want to build uh, permanent habitats on the moon, we want to go to Mars, we want to explore the solar system. Well, you know, all these things were wishful thinking 
only a few decades ago. Some people still consider them wishful thinking now. And what's wrong with that? It is wishful thinking that makes us uh, advanced. And uh, so with this picture of people walking on the street, let me get back to earth and discuss the relevance of uh, transhumanism plus plus or cosmism to the key issues of the present. And uh, really the most important point that I want to make is that today there is not enough wishful thinking. It's not that there is too much wishful thinking. The problem is that there is not enough of it. Many people are losing the sense of a wonderful enchanted frontier. Many people are losing the sense of transcendental hope and meaning. Uh, many people don't dare to hope in survival after death and therefore live in existential despair. And this is bad. <laughs> well, this is bad because uh, happiness is good and uh, despair is bad, of course. But this is also bad because without hope in survival after death, some could recklessly pursue very dangerous uh, paths to immortality here and now. And the example that uh, I'll make is, uh, you know, all these uh, discussions about artificial intelligence, what happens if the AI becomes much smarter than us, and all that. In his book, Superintelligence, Nick Bostrom says that superintelligent AIs could almost certainly devise means to indefinitely prolong the lives of the then still existing humans or helping them shuffle off their mortal coils altogether by uploading their minds to a digital substrate. Um, what does it mean? It means that maybe we're not smart enough ourselves to find out uh, how to live forever, like my friend Aubrey de Grey wants. But with the assistance of ultra intelligence, artificial intelligence, we could do so. And uh, so the result of this way of thinking is that some people could want to go ahead and create super intelligent AIs, no matter what, as soon as possible, even right now. This is one side of the discussion. The other side is that, and here I'm quoting Elon Musk, superintelligent AI is the single biggest existential crisis that we face and the most pressing one. I think the danger of AI is much greater than the danger of nuclear warheads. Oh, well. So two different points of view. How should we balance ourselves? I think, well, uh, I must say that I don't take the idea of uh, human-like or uh, uh, smarter than human, than human artificial intelligence too seriously at this moment. I don't think it's going to happen that soon. I think we'll have to wait some more decades at least. But, uh, you know, I also see that we need 
a mental discipline to refrain from uh, doing things that offer a very high reward, like immortality, but also a very high risk, like wiping out humanity. And I think hope in afterlife is our best protection against that. Because, you know, if I think I will live again by agency of uh, future godlike humans, then I'm less uh, tempted to create a dangerous artificial intelligence at this moment to solve the problem of immortality for me. And I think this is an important consideration. So I'm uh, ending this slideshow, showing uh, a picture of my book, uh, Tales of the Turing Church. Uh, I'm showing a picture of the first edition of the book. Now, a couple of years ago, I published the, the second edition. And in this book, I talk uh, very much it's a pretty big book. I talk very much about all these things. And now this is what I wanted to say. Let me stop uh, sharing the screen. And uh, okay, this was it. I thank you very much for bearing with me until now. And I really look forward to hearing your reactions to this. Well, if I can go first, Sure. Uh, could you uh, introduce yourself first? Yes. So I'm David. Uh, I've been involved with the Eton Church for about five years now. And um, yeah, so um, I actually read the book. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to ask you my question would be, what do you feel has changed since you first made this presentation? It's been three years. In many senses, the world has changed, you know, in political senses, we have a big massive war going on in Europe. We have the coronavirus crisis. We have a different US president, all different space program plans. What do you feel has changed that pertains to the church itself uh, ever since you made this first made this presentation? It's essentially nothing, you know. So of course, a lot of things have changed, but... Mm -hmm. uh... You know, I'm, I haven't really been talking about things that uh, are likely to happen in the next few decades. So that, uh, you know, a lot has happened and a lot will continue to happen. Um, we had the war in Ukraine the year before we had the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm not really a utopian. I don't believe that... Uh, things will become beautiful anytime soon. I mean, uh, we had the pandemic, now we have the war in Ukraine, and then we have something else, and then we have something else. And, you know, unfortunately, these are all facts of life that we have to live with. There will be always problems. Uh, let me use uh, the only short-term uh, uh, scenario that I have mentioned, which is that of space flight. It's something that can happen much sooner than artificial intelligence and mind uploading and the immortality. 
becoming godlike and all that. This is something that can happen here and now. Now, of course, I do want things to advance fast. I was uh, 11 in 1969. I'm 65 now. So I'm uh, an orphan of Apollo. I have waited uh, more than 50 years to see people walking on the moon. So you know, I would like to, uh, I'd like to see astronauts on the moon next week, but that's not going to happen. They say now that it's going to be 2025. I think that's not going to happen either. Uh, 2028, maybe by the end of the decade, I want to see a, a moon base, but uh, I think that's not going to happen before the end of the next decade because you know things could go fast. Huh? But things always happen to slow things down. If it's not the pandemic, then it is the war, the war in Ukraine. If it's not the war in Ukraine, then it's something else. Now, you know, uh, who knows who the next US uh, president will be and what the US space policy will be. Uh, okay, there is Elon Musk, but we see that. Um, a lot of voices are attacking Elon Musk from many, many, many different directions right now, the Twitter thing and the, some uh, thing that he says that perhaps he should not say, but you know, all that slows things down. Elon Musk could uh, take astronauts to the moon in a few years, but you know, things always go much slower than expected. Uh, there is a that intelligent thing that you know in engineering uh, you do 80% of the work in 20% of the time, but then you need the other 80% of the time to do the other 20% of the work. So things are never easy, you never advance the steadily, there are always set, uh, setbacks. There are always roadblocks then you need to go around and you know things don't happen that fast. So, um, you know, I don't hope to see any of these things before uh, I'll have to, be, uh, before I'll have to, go, to log off. Things will be slowed down by natural catastrophes, by politics, by war, and that's, uh, these are facts of life. But I do believe that even though things go up and down, if you take an average, if you smooth, uh, the high frequency variations out. If you do an average, things do improve. I mean, uh, if we think of the world of our grand grand grandfathers uh, in, uh, let's say, in the 19th century, you know, most children died. Mm, most people died when they were very young. There were atrocities which are much worse than the atrocities that we see now. Now we have uh, newspapers and television and social network. We immediately know when something bad happens on the other side of the world. But, um, you know, these things also happened then and much more than now. Only they didn't have the internet at that time. They didn't even have television. So things are improving. And I am... Uh, reasonably confident, no, I'm very confident that things will continue to improve. Not always, not every day, not uh, in a steady and uh, predictable way, but we'll have improvements in the long run. It's going to be exponential, not as fast as Ray Kurzweil thinks. And, uh, 
the idea of a singularity in 2045 is bullshit, if you ask me. But you know, eventually, yes, things advanced exponentially. We are still in a very slow phase of the exponential, but things will continue to improve. And that things will continue to improve is really the foundation of my worldview. Now, there are bad things. The war in Ukraine is bad. Pandemic was bad. When these things will be over, there will be other bad things. These are facts of life, but you know, my, uh, the things that I've been discussing are oriented to the future. And these uh, small scale variations that we are seeing at this moment are smoothed out. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question, David? It does, yes. Adam David, what uh, do you think? Yeah, I, I see the increase in the world getting better. I think that's, there's a lot in that. Um, yeah, can, can I ask a, another uh, question? As, sure. as I've said, as I've said before, I've, I've uh, read your book, followed through um, to the links and found you on, on social media. Um, I also had links and, and listened to quite a bit on the Christian uh, transhumanist uh, podcast and, and things from, uh, from my friend there. My question is a bit more, almost like philosophical, is that if I've understood you right, some, sometime in the future, we don't know when, hundreds, thousands, millions of years, the idea is humanity will have reached a technological point to be able to somehow look back in time, find me, potentially, and copy me and give me a resurrected body. Now, whether that's digital or physical, um, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that, but also I think my question is more about the continuity. I have a sense that I'm the same you know, the person that was me 30 years ago has become me day by day. And yet you're using the word copy. And that feels like, is that a different person? Or will I, in the same way that my 30-year-old self became, after many years, my 40-year-old self, and then my 50-year-old and so on? I see. Will I have that sense of continuity or is that a completely different individual no, you know i think uh, the word uh, <laughs> i mean uh, a lot of people actually almost everyone has yeah. this reaction to the word copy mm. which i think is uh, technically correct but uh, is not emotionally satisfying mm. So, you know, uh, you say that uh, you feel you are the same person you were 30 years ago. I think I've changed. Yes. Essentially. But there's a continuity. Yeah. I essentially. That I became person. that person. Right. That person but, became me. Right. Right. Yeah. But as a matter of fact, you are not the same person you were yesterday. 
because mm. uh, today you have new memories, perhaps you have lost some old memories, some of your uh, body cells are dead and so on. Mm. So that, uh, you know, thinking that we are uh, destroyed at night and uh, copied back in the morning, I think is uh, emotionally unpleasant, but I think it's technically correct. The thing is that, you know, when your consciousness shuts down to sleep, well, uh, you still have conscious dreams and all that, but let's uh, gloss over that. If uh, you are uh, destroyed at night and copied back in the morning, does anything change? I think no. You still have the memory of yesterday's you and you feel a continuity with yesterday's you. Same with mm. uh, the version of you uh, that existed 30 years ago and same for me and same for everyone. Thing is, um, you know, I uh, think it has to do with uh, acceptance. Thing is that I feel a continuity with yesterday's me, which means it means that I'm willing to accept yesterday's me as my past. And I know that tomorrow's me will accept today's me as his past. So we feel continuity because we want to feel it. I haven't said this very precisely, I guess, but going back, to the scenario of uploading to the future. Thing is that first, even if it happens in millions of years, for us, it will be, for us, from a subjective point of view, will be instantaneous. Is that like, what is that uh, nice uh, movie, Vanilla Sky, when, you know, uh, open your eyes and immediately Tom Cruise wakes uh, up in the future, and the same thing will happen to us. We won't mm. feel the millions of years that have passed. Mm. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I have been recently reading, uh, and I'm going to write uh, these things on the Turing Church newsletter and next book about physical theories that uh, predict that uh, even without technological intervention, this coming back in the future, in the very, very far future, will happen spontaneously by means of how the universe works, even without human intervention. And the same thing applies here. There will be continuity because you, know, you have uh, your uh, uh, memories and you allow yourself to experience continuity with those memories. And if you think of it is that uh, we have the same concept in traditional religions, and this issue has been debated by theologians for centuries. I mean, in which sense is the resurrected you still you? In Christianity, you have the concept of, you know, coming back to physical life in a new body, which is not made of the same kind of matter as uh, the body we have now. And okay, this is entirely different from me. How can he be me? The mm. ideas, there have been many ideas. One, for example, is that the pattern that is our personality is held in the memory of God until God decides to wake us up 
and give us uh, a new body, mm. real resurrection. So these things have been discussed and continue to be discussed. I think they will uh, always continue to be discussed. Mm. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, let's just, uh, uh, let's just ask the people will experience resurrection, whether they find anything good. There could be some uh, kind of uh, experimental proof on this. So imagine a teleportation technology like in Star Trek. Mm. In the show, they don't explain how it works, but I do imagine it's based on uh, some kind of quantum shenanigans like Schrodinger cat and all that. The thing is that you are destroyed mm. here and you are and you are recreated there. So they, Captain Kirk and the other, could ask themselves exactly the same questions. In which sense, the me who has been recreated here is the same as the me who was destroyed there. And uh, I think it's impossible to give a consistent philosophical answer to this question. But you know, we can be, we'll be able, if teleportation technology will ever exist, we will have a practical answer to that. Mm. In the sense that, you know, it's something that I do every time. It's something that I do every day, many times a day. So uh, since it's part of my normal reality, I don't find uh, anything uh, weird with that. Mm just a part of the normal reality that I accept. Same as you know, the reaction of uh, our uh, grandfathers to this uh, internet online discussion we have now. So yeah. okay, uh, there are, it is, I see things on the screen, but in which sense are these uh, people who live in different parts of the world, in which sense are they together now? Uh, well, not in exactly the same sense of togetherness that our grandfathers had, but, you know, we are here, for us, it doesn't matter that much, does it? That's right. I think, uh, you know, uh, even though I'm unable to formulate a precise answer to your question, I mm. think the answer is more or less something like this. Yeah. That's good, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, is there uh, anything else that you want to ask about what uh, yeah. I say today? You, David, you go first. I already talked to Julio sometimes, a few times. So, yeah. I can't think of anything here. Okay, yeah, let's, uh, uh, David. Uh, I just have one final question, Julie, perhaps. Um, I wanted to ask your views on, uh, you, you're probably aware of uh, this, you know, financial news story about FTX, this big crypto bank repository that uh, declared bankruptcy over the last week. This was a massive, you know, yeah. company funding. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just uh, read a couple of headlines, but I didn't really follow it that much. Well, the thing is, uh, uh, no, I, uh, I do know what it is, more or less. Uh, yes. but, but well, for those who know, just explain it. Yeah, but so basically, it was one of these crypto crypto banks, right? So you would you would uh, uh, deposit 
cash, you know, uh, British pounds, US dollars, euros, whatever, into this company. And then you would be able to buy cryptocurrency of all sorts, you know, uh, Solaris, uh, Dogecoin, whatever, uh, Bitcoin, anything. And, uh, you know, it went down because, you know, they were doing all sorts of crazy stuff with your money because it was unregulated. And it was a bunch of young people in Silicon Valley who had, you know, plenty of ideas. And one of these ideas was uh, effective altruism. I don't know if you ever came, came across these people, Julio, because I have. You know, I, I belong to a, an effective altruistic uh, circle in, in Spain. And, um, you know, to me, it was a very inspiring group of people, uh, uh, even though now we know the world, the whole movement was very much funded by, you know, these guys in FTS who weren't all that good. But the idea is, you know, they have this idea of long-termism, that everything you have to do has to be for the benefit of mankind in the long term. And I was thinking, that's not all that, all, all that different from you know, the Turing Church concept of, you know, <laughs> we need to keep going one way or another, mm-hmm. because in the end, as you said, if we keep progressing, you know, we're gonna get to this you know, ideal point within perhaps you know, in a short time, I don't know, a couple billion years, we'll get to this point where <laughs> we have full control of the universe and we can resurrect the dead, you know, why not? You know, the whole concept. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether you, ever thought of the connection between this long-termism concept and, you know, the twin church ideas? I think there is a very big difference. But uh, um, well, uh, let me say one thing on the crypto thing first. Of course, I have read some headlines. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few years ago, I was very much into the crypto scene. You know, I have mm-hmm. uh, made a living as uh, a cryptocurrency mm-hmm. journalist for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of the very few people I know able to make a full living writing as a freelance without leaving home. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. I stopped writing about cryptocurrencies about uh, a few years ago because you know it uh, really didn't interest me that much anymore. Uh, I was uh, uh, one of the very first users of Bitcoin. I started mining Bitcoin in a few weeks. Uh, no maybe the same week as uh, the uh, paper of Satoshi Nakamoto appeared on the cryptography mailing list. Hal Finney was a friend of mine. You know, um, I know these things pretty well and I still find them very interested in a technical sense. Um, I mean, uh, when people start saying that, you know, this, uh, uh, cryptocurrencies are the only important things, are the things that will uh, save the world. Uh, you know, I stop listening at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, now, coming to effective altruism, you described it in uh, as uh, the idea that you must do what uh, is good for the future, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Roughly. That's uh, also my understanding of uh, effective altruism. Uh, now, you must do are words that I would never say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, not in my world. I mean, what uh, must you do? You do whatever the fuck you like. The thing mm-hmm. is that I don't uh, want to receive orders from other people about what I must do. And I don't want to give 
orders to other people about what they must do. The world is a good place uh, because, you know, within some, unfortunately, inevitable constraints, we do what we want, and that is good. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I can go in the street and shoot people. Uh, these are, you know, the, this is uh, part of the inevitable constraints. But, uh, you know, I am a libertarian in the sense that I want to see much less interference from uh, the rest of the world into one's personal sphere. And uh, I especially don't want to be told what to think. I mean, if you start mm. uh, telling me what I must think, then you're really not my friend anymore. Mm. And similarly, I don't want to tell other people what to think. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, I do think that the future is important. I do think that I do think that good things will happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Even that uh, transcendental things like becoming gods will happen in the far future. And I do think that uh, what we do here and now is instrumental to that. But, you know, what you must do, I don't want to tell you that. You must know that. Uh, what I can do is to offer my ideas for those who uh, want to hear them. What I can do is to make sure that everything that I think can be found on the internet and in my books, but uh, that's, uh, that's where I stopped. It's one reason why Turing Church is not a church. Mm. It's an informal group. I didn't even want to create a semi-formal, semi-official group like the Christian and Mormon Transhumanist Association. You know, they do it within an existing religion. I mean, what uh, I think my ideas are is a religion to me, but I don't want to make it uh, a formal religion for uh, other people. Because I don't want to tell anyone what to think. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I don't uh, allow other people to tell me what to think. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Mm. It does. Thank you. Good. Well, you know, it's been uh, great seeing you today. And I do look forward to continuing these discussions uh, mm -hmm. in future Turing Church meetings. I hope uh, you continue to mm -hmm. come. And I hope that other mm -hmm. people will come. I've been thinking of uh, hosting a meeting every month mm, mm. or so. Uh, not in December, because in December, the you know Christmas holidays and also... I'm going to take care of the Terasem event on December 14. Mm -hmm. you know, December 14 is the 50th anniversary of uh, the last day humans have been on the moon. This event is going to be about space. We're going to have Michelle Hanlon of National Space Society. Uh, many space organizations are going to be represented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do invite you to come 
is going to be a very interesting three house event. So not in December, but starting in January, I will try to host a Turing Church meeting every month. Okay. Uh, with uh, this formula, I mean, one half uh, with uh, an assigned disca discussion theme recorded, the second half not recorded, mm -hmm. uh, on Zoom or uh, some other platform. I think mm -hmm. for the time being in Zoom, but I'm very open to experimenting with other technology mm -hmm. platforms. And, uh, you know, that's it. All those who are listening, I hope to see you at the next meeting. Uh, have uh, published the Google Calendar of this meeting, so just stay tuned. And unless someone wants to say something on the record, I'm going to stop the recording now. Go for it. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>